The guest for this episode of the BCP cast is Tuba Gersoy. Tuba is one of the managers of a private members club in the West End in London, and this episode is a little different. Now, usually the interviewees we have on the podcast are business continuity managers at large businesses or consultants that work with lots of organisations. But after interviewing Catherine Corbishley this season, who referenced her history in hospitality, it made us think about that parallel. The theme of this season is crisis management. And for a lot of the white-collar corporate businesses that we speak to, real crises aren't common. One of our guests even said that in his lengthy career, he'd probably only seen 10 real crises. So we wanted to speak to someone close to the coalface, in a position where dealing with incidents and difficult situations is an everyday occurrence to find out what we can learn from someone getting their 10,000 hours of experience. Here's Tuba to introduce herself and explain why hospitality is such a good industry for us all in continuity to learn from. So my name is Tuba and I have been working in the hospitality sector for about 17 years. Yeah, interestingly, there's this kind of law in hospitality where if you're in management, everyone has to do their time in night shifts, which is kind of like a prison sentence at the time, but actually a really good opportunity for you to come into your own and know how to make decisions pretty quickly with some quite hairy situations. It was interesting to see how many of the themes we've discussed with the business continuity practitioners came up when talking to Tugba. We'll get to power failures, escalation procedures, and exercising later, but for now, let's start with two lessons. Firstly, training to break your habits and condition new instinctive responses to alter how you make difficult decisions. And secondly, the importance of the review process to help you learn from your mistakes. I think the bulk of the training is actually to make you resilient to what could happen and to essentially restructure how you as a manager would make certain decisions and the rationale behind that faced with a live situation sometimes that can go out of the window but for years of training if you keep hammering it home something is going to stick and every situation is one to learn from also and so actually the hotel that I mentioned they had a very detailed follow-up process so they would log everything either positive or negative but it would then be reviewed the following day in the morning briefing as what could we have done differently? Was that the right decision? If it was, great. How are we going to follow up on that further? Or is there any follow up? And if it wasn't, we'd kind of regroup and then go through training all over again. Here's a great lesson, something the hospitality industry is particularly good at. Reviewing decision making in the morning briefing. When you're dealing with incidents every day, there's a lot of scope for review and improvement. This strikes me as a great indicator of the maturity of your continuity program. The first step for an organization is to have a plan. The next step is to review, improve and iterate. That's the difference between an organization that treats business continuity as a one-off project every 12 to 24 months and one that makes it central to their operations. One of the topics we discussed with Tugba was that there's a dark side to hospitality behind the polished surface that we as customers see. Staff have to deal with incredibly difficult situations, from drunk teenagers without chaperones to real threats to their personal safety. Hotels are great places, but then there are, there's quite a darker side to it also that you know most of the outside world don't really think about. And sometimes even uh, more junior team members, having 
seen some of those instances, it def- it makes you a bit more resilient, but also cautious in all the kind of training that you give, not trying to scare people as you're training them, but just to kind of lay out the potential scope of the business that you're in. Tuba had a specific story to illustrate. One of the scariest moments, and I think the one that really made me understand the concept of protecting yourself before others, was this guest who had checked in previously and came down to the desk again at quite early hours without shoes on, that's fine, um, but was quite visibly intoxicated. And again, my my colleague in the security team and I um, were asked to go to his room. When we got there, he was convinced that somebody had installed cameras into his room and was spying on him. So at this point, we're standing in the doorway. Uh, My colleague went into the room just to appease him uh, and just kind of check around, just say, look, no, everything's fine. He went on our radar pretty much straight away. There isn't much we can do. The kind of privacy of a guest room is quite a difficult subject to to handle unless somebody is being quite violent or is clearly showing signs of you know being disturbed or being able to cause harm to others. We can't always just call the authorities and say, hey, you want to take this person away? Because again, guest privacy is crucial to the business. Long story short, the guest came back downstairs and demanded that I go up and he didn't want security. And again, we appeased him. My colleague was waiting in the corridor, probably about a metre away. So he was out of the line of sight of the guest. And the guest opened the door and he was like, you need to come inside and see this. And I said, I'm I'm sorry, I can't. I can see perfectly from here. He was really, really insistent. And I edged in as far into the room as I could while still holding the door. And for one second, the door slipped from my finger and it shut, but I opened it straight away. My colleague was there, I knew that. And the following morning, because the property report every instant, anything that happens that's kind of suspicious or unusual is reported. In the morning, the director of security called me into his office and closed all the blinds. And he laid it to me quite quite badly basically saying you know anything could have happened in that split second you were trying to look after the guest but you forgot about yourself he could have had a knife a gun it takes one second for anything like terrible to happen don't do it again and lots of tears later it was agreed that I would never do that again so you know I try and train my team in the same ways like you have to the first thing you want to do is run to aid somebody and fix something, but actually people rarely assess the situation and the surroundings to gauge whether or not it's safe for them to even get near it. We've talked about duty of care in passing with many of our interviewees, but rarely is personal safety such a day-to-day concern as Tuba describes. There's a difficult balance here in that Tuba's industry is hospitality. The job is literally to take care of her guests, but that should never be at the expense of the personal safety of its staff. This side of incident management can be completely alien to some organisations. For some, the main concerns are suppliers delivering on time and keeping IT systems online. Downtime costs and reputation damage pale into insignificance against genuine threats to life and safety. Let's return to the potential dangers to guests. Tuba's Members Club is in central London where the risk of terrorism is particularly high. Depending on the specific threat, That could mean bringing guests in and protecting them from danger outside, 
or getting everyone out as quickly as possible? Any act of terrorism, as you said, is, is pretty key. We break it down into an evacuation or an evacuation. So if the threat is literally outside on the doorstep, we have a process for shutting down the building externally and keeping everybody in a certain part of the building that is the safest. And that's been had the seal of approval from our um, health and safety advisor. But Tugba is not left on her own to deal with this kind of major issue. She's supported by the Central London Security Infrastructure. Other interviewees have talked about being included in multi-agency responses to terrorism or major local crises. But they were from big businesses with big offices and thousands of staff. It might give you some comfort when you're next in central London to know that actually, even relatively small organisations like Tugba's are kept well informed about the current state of risk and are suitably prepared on how to respond. When the threat level increased in London with the events recently, the Met Police did a lot of work for particularly central London businesses working with their security teams. Our security team has a kind of older sister company who are very uh, closely involved with the Met Police and they get regular updates, it's almost daily check-ins and it's really comforting to know that there's that level of detail and you know follow-up going on behind the scenes because we've all seen the news and you know Londoners are resilient, yes it's true, but it will always leave a kind of mark on somebody when they're stepping off that tube or going into a big building or a shopping centre. Security will essentially assess the risks associated or potential with the local area. That then gets discussed at a senior meeting, either training or it is, it's decided then as to what happens. It could be that we, do, we don't inform our team on the ground or because we don't really want to scare people off. They've already heard the news, they're already a little bit sensitive about it. We don't want to exacerbate the situation, so we might make a decision to say, let us monitor it, maybe we put an extra patrol on, or maybe we double up on our staffing, but it might not be appropriate to raise the alarm. Or it could be the complete opposite. It might be appropriate to highlight the importance of something and to just make everybody doubly aware of their surroundings. I think with the kind of recent attacks in London, it was kind of suspicious packages, not so much, but also it was more kind of cars parked and left for long periods of time. We recently did an exercise where we, we actually put together a series of images that would trigger a response or a phone call to the security team. And essentially that's all we asked. If something doesn't look right, just make a phone call. Just say, you're not silly for doing it. And I think that's what people kind of felt like they didn't want to kind of overdo it. As we've heard before, one of the most disruptive events in hospitality is a power outage. Unlike organisations with office workers who can be sent home and allowed to log into externally hosted systems, for hotels, a power outage is a showstopper. As such, you'd expect it to be one of the incidents that they are best prepared to respond to. Unfortunately, in Tugba's case, when she joined the business, they'd only just added hotel rooms to the members club and were yet to build out those response plans. It has been something that I've had to deal with, actually. My current workplace, it was probably within the first two months, we had a complete power outage. It was the whole block that we're based on, so completely out of our hands. It did mean that we had to rehouse nine guests, but interestingly, by the time I'd come into the business, the night team were kind of handling it initially, and what they 
tried is to call local hotels to try and get the guests out. At that point, they didn't have an emergency response team. They didn't have protocols for what to do if this happens because we have hotel guests. The business previously didn't have hotel rooms, so it wasn't something that anyone needed to, needed to worry about. But at the time of the morning, we're talking about eight in the morning, trying to get two guests to let them know gently so they're not panicking, trying to find torches to then be able to guide them out of the building. It's quite an awkward situation to come in on if you've not had any warning. So since then, I have written a lot of guidelines and a lot of procedures the team have been trained on what to do. And actually now, the call-out treat, we call it, because the security team are 24-7, they're often the first responder or the first to be aware of it. They then make one phone call and that news basically travels down a chain of managers who then know how to deal with different aspects of the business based on their experience. So we now have that in place where if I get a phone call at three in the morning, I know that it's probably <laughs> got to make some phone calls. So what follows neatly on from putting those protocols and procedures in place is testing and exercising. Again, in an environment servicing customers 24 hours a day, that can be quite challenging. While we might all know the difficulty of getting our own staff and senior management to take part in exercising, it's probably not quite as painful as forcing a paying guest to leave their breakfast. A business of our size, because uh, we're fairly small, we probably don't exercise as much as we should. Larger organisations I know do, probably every six months. It's definitely something that I would recommend is done at all times. Whether it, you know you, you come in through the staff entrance and the first thing you're given is a map of, you know, there's there's been a bomb threat and you have to support the team in trying to check all areas and that sort of thing. I mean, that's quite an extreme one, but doing a full building evacuation is always a good practice just to know how quickly you can get everybody out. Not always practical if you have multiple events and lots of paying clients in the business. People rarely understand the importance of keeping them safe. I mean, as a business, you know that's what you're doing, but they rarely can you convince somebody that, you know, leaving their X Royale on the table just to kind of do a drill is uh, <laughs> <it's> good. <laughs> We're going to finish today with some parting advice from Tugba on another common theme of the season. The consequences of escalating early versus the cost of putting it off. Her thoughts immediately ran to the well-being of her guests, but I think it's equally applicable for all of us, for customers or staff, the common concern that prevents us from escalating early is that we don't want to cause a fuss unduly. We don't want our colleagues or our customers to resent us. It takes strength and courage to make those calls, but if you are ever in doubt, just remember that the consequences of erroneously escalating early are not as severe as the cost of putting it off. That's it. I mean, some businesses might fear for the loss of revenue or you know, the, the PR aftermath from that. All of those things can be recovered, whether it's through building insurance or, or any kind of other insurance that businesses would have. Again, it's protecting life first and foremost, because, you know, yes, you might lose a few thousand pounds, but ultimately you, what you've done by putting your guests and your, your team into safety is showing them that they come first. <laughs> <laughs>